Let's get into some word today. What do you say? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And I want to continue today uh, with a, a new series that we began last week. And this is our foundation for this, uh, this message. It's 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let's begin reading over here in verse 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. Paul writes here, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Amen. Now this new series is called Completing Your Course taken primarily from that the middle of the three things that Paul said here. He said that, again, that he had fought the good fight. He said that he had finished his race. Race is also translated course. And that he had, he had kept the faith. All right? And so as he's writing to Timothy saying, I'm about to leave, I'm about to go to heaven, he, uh, he doesn't use the word die there, which I like. Come on now, if you, how many know we don't really die in the sense of ceasing to exist? That doesn't happen to anybody. As a believer, you, quote, die, you really, you just depart. You depart. And Paul had finished his assignment, what God had given him to do, and so he's getting ready to take off. He's getting ready to leave and go to heaven. And what my heart is, not only for myself, but for, for, for everyone here, is that we not only finish life, I don't want to just be done with life at, so, at some point, I want to finish my course. I want to finish the assignment that God has given me. And I know many live, uh, in, they live their lives without any real awareness or knowledge of a specific course that God has for them. They just kind of going through the motions, just living life and paying the bills and, you know, get married. Many, most people do and have kids and go to work and come home and hopefully sneak in a vacation or two here and there and, and, you know, have a couple hobbies and that's basically life. And, you know, of course you get saved, you alter some of your behavior and you, you, you know, have some morality to you and you go to church and, 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 but they think that's just what it's about. And I, I really believe that's not what it's about. That our lives have a far greater purpose. There is something that He has uh, in His heart for us to be involved with on an individual basis as well as corporately. There is a course that we are to complete. And having a proper expectation of what life is supposed to be, what it really means to be a Christian, will help us to avoid disillusionment and, and uh and those type of things, you know, some have, have thought that if I'm a Christian, the day I get saved from there on out, flowery beds of ease, you know, it, it, it's just going to be, that's just the way it, it, it is being a Christian. And then others have, and that's not true, by the way, and then others have been on the other, other side of that, and they thought, well, as soon as you get saved, expect all hell to break loose, you know, and, and your life is just going to be hard, because it's hard to be a Christian, and, and they're in a ditch, because how many know we're supposed to be full of joy, full of victory, we live on the victory side of the cross, and we're living in God's grace, and we have the benefits of our salvation, sins forgiven, sickness is healed, loving kindness and tender mercies surround us, you know, there's, there's 
there's just such great benefit, but we've got to have an accurate picture. Last week we were talking to you about Timothy's, well, the letter written to Timothy here that Paul wrote and the illustrations that Paul used. He said it's kind of like being a soldier. He said it's kind of like being an athlete. And it's like being a farmer, a hard-working farmer. And there's some illustrations that we've been able to, and some examples that we can see in those um, professions, if you will, uh, that parallel the Christian life. But one thing I can say, being a Christian is not about doing nothing. It's not about sins are forgiven and now I'm waiting for heaven. I mean, that's boring. I'm telling you, God is not a boring God. He has something very exciting and worthy uh, for, for your life. And, and really, uh, the image that many people have of going to heaven, that's boring too. I mean, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm convinced that it's not accurate, you know, but it's this image of harp playing and, you know, I don't know, first million years you have harp lessons and, you know, cloud sitting lessons and, and, and then you just kind of do that. And uh, no, no, I don't know everything we're going to do. I don't know everything I'm going to do in heaven. But I do know this is going to be, there's going to be a lot to it. It's not just going to be sitting around twiddling our thumbs thinking, yeah, isn't it great? No more pain. (laughs) I mean, God is a, uh, if you know him, you know he likes to do things. There's not only glory and joy and peace and all that kind of stuff, but there's activity. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wondering, just a side note to this, I'm wondering, what in the world is the universe so big for? I mean, it's a massive thing, massive place. We can't even comprehend in our brains the size and scope of an endless universe. I'm kind of thinking some of that might come into play someday. Hmm? Food for thought. But in this life, God certainly has something for us to do. This language in Scripture of finishing your course is not isolated to this passage. Let me draw your attention to another one. Speaking of John the Baptist, in Acts 13, 25, it says, And as John was finishing his course. Notice, as John was finishing his course. So, he had a course. Paul had a course. Other individuals had a a race or a course or a plan that that, that God wanted them to complete. Is it possible that maybe you have a course? Now, you may or may not be on it. You may be in the clubhouse looking at the course. I don't know. Or listening to stories about someone else's course. But is it possible that there's something for you to do? I, I really believe that that's the case. That doing something in the kingdom of God is not limited to those who are pastors and apostles and prophets and so forth, but it includes every member of the body of Christ. Okay? There are no, there are to be no bench warmers or people riding the pine in this, in this game. Okay? There is a position, there is a, 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 a place for every individual to do something in God's kingdom. And I really believe that that is what gives us fulfillment and satisfaction. It's what God designed and created us for. But if I don't know that exists, I'm probably not going to search for it. I'm not going to look for it. I'm not going to put my hand to anything that, that God would want me to do. Let me give you this verse. It's what we already read, but from a different translation. It's 2 Timothy 1.7. Paul writes here, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the work I was to do. It's called the New Life Version. I have finished the work 
I was to do. So instead of saying there, I have finished my race or my course, he said, I've finished the work. So we can see that when the scriptures talk about course, when we talk about completing your course, we're really talking about completing a work. Everybody say work. Everybody like work? <laughs> work is not a, well, it is a four-letter word, but, but, but work is not a cuss word. It's not a negative thing. Again, I believe we're going to work in heaven. Now, we're not going to work by the sweat of our brow. We're not going to work under a curse. not going to work in a fallen world. It's not going to be, ah, oh, it's Monday. <laughs> off to work I go. Oh, I owe. So off to work I go. You know, and, and that, that type of mentality, absolutely not. But work, do something productive forever. Get used to it. But here's the thing. We are to be involved and engaged in these type of activities here today. And what is it that you are supposed to do? Life is more than just running the rat race and just keeping everything, keeping the plates spinning and keeping everything going. And then one time, sometime in the future, we'll check out and be done. No, God has something for us to do. Acts chapter 9 is another place. Why don't you take a look at that with me? Acts chapter 9. This is the, the account and story. We'll just take a section of this. But where Saul, who later became known as Paul, was, you know, he was a persecutor of Christians. He was doing harm to those who believe. And, uh, you know, like it is today and like it is increasing, people who don't believe are actually attacking those who do. Saul was one of those guys, and he had an experience on the road to Damascus with a bright light and a voice from heaven. And he fell to the ground and all those around him. And his response to the Lord in this dramatic experience was this. Acts chapter 9 and verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Notice those two questions. Who are you and what do you want me to do? I think most of us probably in here have come to the answer of the first one. We know who God is. We know who the Lord is. We have, uh, we have that, had that question answered, and now we're on the other side of it because we've received the Lord. We've been saved. We're in the family of God. We've made Jesus the Lord of our lives. But here's another question, and it's interesting to me. The Lord didn't tell Saul to ask this. He didn't send him the question list that Saul, as soon as you find out who I am, you need to ask this question. It just kind of came up. It was just natural there. I'm kind of thinking this is the way it is with all of us. Maybe we don't remember asking the question. Maybe, uh, you know, an absence of really knowing the answer kept us from continuing on that course. But this is normal for anyone who gets saved. Is there is something inside, spiritually, that recognizes and realizes that God has something for us to do. He has an assignment for us. He not only saved us, He saved us for a purpose, for a reason. He brought us into His family, of course, to be with Him, to be in a relationship with Him, to be blessed by Him, but then He has an assignment for us. He has a work that we are to complete, that we are to accomplish. Saul immediately asked that question, Lord, who are you? <laughs> oh, I'm Jesus. Oh, <laughs> yikes. 
What do you want me to do? And so what, what have you asked the Lord? Do you have an assignment? Do you have a task that He's given you? Is there something you have put your hand to? Because I'm telling you, God created you to do it. Look over at Ephesians chapter 2. Just a short right turn there. Ephesians chapter 2. I like the sound of pages turning. And if you're on a, a, a device, I think you can fake it. You can add that sound. It's where you're tapping. It's got that nice Bible sound. All right. It's a holy sound, isn't it? No. Ephesians chapter 2, notice with me over here in verse 10. It reads, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Everybody say, for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We were created. Now, when he's talking about uh, we were created in Christ Jesus, you know, that's, that's not talking about being born. It's talking about being born again. It's not talking about your physical birth. It's talking about your spiritual birth. When you were born again, that's called being created in Christ Jesus. All right? You were created. I was created in Christ Jesus for what? It's not just period. You were created in Christ Jesus. End of story. Period. No, you were created for, with a purpose, for a reason. What? It's called Good works. God designed us to do things. Now, I know sometimes in our circles that use the whole uh, language of works, and it almost has a negative connotation in some people's minds because they say, Oh, no, I'm not going back into works. I'm saved by grace. It is the grace of God, and I'm, I'm saved, so no works. And I realize that religion... And, and churches and all kinds of people have ruined the nice word works. You know how they did it? They took it, they took, they used the word grace and works, and they swapped the order. And now, and religions have sprung up all over the world. Started with fig leafism in the garden. It's right, and all kinds of other isms have been tacked on since then. It's man trying to do something to gain acceptance and right standing with God, and it never works. Huh? And if you've been trying to do that, let me encourage you today quit it. God loves you, period. Jesus died for your sins, period. You can do nothing to add to or take away from that, just accept it. All right. But because of so much works mentality in the church and in, in different religions, uh, people have almost backed off from that. And they say, well, I, no, I don't want to get into works. We just need to rest in the finished work of Christ. Well, no. When it comes to your acceptance, your relationship with God, your righteousness, your salvation, absolutely don't try to do anything. Nothing we do adds to or takes away from that. But here's the thing. God changed us for a purpose, and that is so we could do good things. We were created to work for God. Yeah. And your life, my life, will seem hollow, will seem shallow, will seem insignificant until, I don't mean that you are insignificant in God's heart, but your life will feel that way if there is not something that you have discovered to put your hand to to do something for God. Because those are the only things that are going to last. 
They're the only things that are going to stand the brush of fire that's going to come by all of our lives at one point when we stand before the judgment seat or reward seat of Christ. Fire's going to hit and wood, hay, and stubble will be burned away. That's all my golf games. (laughs) You know, that's all natural stuff that doesn't really matter. But what's going to stand is what I did by faith, what I did in the will of God, what I did for the kingdom of God, things that have eternal value. And so we want to make sure that we are giving ourselves to God's purposes and His plan, and we complete this course that He has laid out for our lives. Praise God. So the Spirit of God is in us to this end for activity. He wants you to be busy. Busy, not just... I'm just trying to keep my nose above the water. I'm just trying to keep the bills paid. And this, no, 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 no. Much greater, much higher, much more important than that. All right? Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Some think it's unscriptural for women to make coffee, but, you know, because of this book, I think that's just a misinterpretation. This kind of has a delayed effect in how it rolls out, and, and I know it gets eye rolls and everything else, and it's deserved. All right, Hebrews chapter ten. <laughs> and, and notice with me verse twenty-four, ten twenty-four. It says, "And let us consider one another, in order to stir up love." And good works. Now think about this for a moment. Let us do what? Consider ourselves. No. Consider who? One another. How many know that our purpose for being here today is not solely about our own personal walk with God? It is about helping someone else's walk with God. Anybody with me? Because how many know God's in your house? And God's on the TV at 9 o'clock. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying I'm God. I'm just saying there's good messages. There's good ways to access teaching and, and spiritual things all by yourself. What's the, what, why does God have us come together? For multiple reasons, but one of them is this. It's each other. Huh? If you're the kind of person that comes in late, leaves early, knock it off. If you're the kind of person that says, well, I'm not real. I don't really like to talk to people. Quit. You're in a family. Find someone. Have a conversation. Get to know someone. God designed us to be together. He designed this one another concept. And and, and why? Why, Say, why should I do that? There's a lot of benefits. here's, here's Here's some of the benefits. That we stir each other up with love and good works. Love and good works. Someone might need to stir you up. You might need to stir someone else up. But we have that benefit in each other's lives. It's like the proverb says, iron sharpens iron. You know, Ching! Sometimes sparks fly, but the end result is we're all sharp. Huh? We're all on our, on, on our game. Well, we're to stir each other up in these areas of love and good works. Now think about it. The, fact, the very fact that it's told that love and good works can be by one another stirred up means that it must be possible for them to be unstirred or settled, meaning not that they're not there, but they're not visible. Almost like chocolate milk. You know, you put the chocolate in there. The, the powder stuff is superior. Uh, 
and, and you put that in there. But how many know if you let it sit there a while, the, the chocolate slowly falls and falls and falls, and it sits there at the bottom. And after, if you left it there long enough, that could look just like regular white milk instead of chocolate milk. Now, it's not that there isn't any chocolate in there. It's not that there isn't any love and good works in there. But sometimes, it, you know what it needs? just needs stirred up. And we can stir things up ourselves, but that's also one of the things we do for each other. We stir each other up. What are you doing for God? What's going on in your life? What have you put your hand to? In what way are you advancing God's kingdom and making, uh, you know, helping other people in the body of Christ? Stir it up! Huh? Not condemning each other, not beating each other up, not looking down, hey, what are you doing? This is what I'm doing. Not like that, but we stir each other up so that love and good works are not only there, they're visible. They're visible to anyone who would come and see. Can someone be around you for very long and see love and see good works? If not, stir it up. Sure got quiet in here. Maybe there's a little considering of myself going on. Seeing if these things are present. Look at Titus. The book of Titus. Left turn. Titus chapter 2. Titus is one of those small books that gets lost. But you're going to meet him someday, so it'll help if you know where his book is. Along with Joel and Amos and Obadiah. You realize most Christians are going to meet these guys someday and not have a clue who they are. Your name's Obadiah? That is a strange name. I've never heard of that before. You haven't? I had a book in the Bible. Well, Titus. Now, of course, everyone in Boise knows the name Titus because we had a football player. Think he might need your prayers. That's not a criticism. I'm saying he's been in the news. Not saying condemn him, pray for him. Uh, let's get up back onto our subject here, though. Titus chapter two, verse fourteen. Titus two fourteen, talking about Jesus. Now it says, "Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people." Period. That's the end of the story, right? No, no. He did this for a reason. Notice, zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. God created us, designed us to this end. We would have a zeal in our hearts, a desire and enthusiasm to do good things for God. Not that they would be required for our acceptance into heaven, No, we're just created for that purpose. It's like a hammer is created to hit nails. I mean, if a hammer exists and never hits any nails, it's still a hammer. It still has its home in the toolbox. It is fully accepted by the screwdriver, the wrenches. It is, you know, the builder appreciates the hammer says, I love the hammer as much as I love the screwdriver. You know what I'm talking about? But yet the hammer is not being used for what it was designed to be used for. It was created to hit things. Nails and stuff. You and I, in Christ, were designed unto something. 
for a cause, for a reason. There is a course for our lives that we should be aware of, we should be on, and we should complete. The Amplified Bible says about uh, of that verse there, it, it says about that, you know, picking up at the end of it, it says, eager and enthusiastic about living a life that is good and filled with beneficial deeds. That's what it means to have a zeal for God. Where, man, I'm excited. There's just something in me that wants to do something for God. Something in me that wants to put my hand to something of value, of worth. I want God to flow through me. Amen. You know, God purified us so that we would want to do good things. Do you sense that zeal inside of you? If you're a Christian, it's there. Now, if you're a Christian, been a Christian for a long time, it's possible it got, you know, it's the chocolate at the bottom. It's possible that it's like you look at yourself, others look at you, and you don't see it. But I'm telling you, it's still there. It's the way God created you. There's something in you that wants to serve Him, that wants to do something for the kingdom of God that, that lasts forever. You know, Jesus was talking about a woman in Luke chapter 7, and He, he was saying how, talking about how she was forgiven a lot, and so she was, she was doing things that the average person wouldn't do. And he, he made this statement in Luke seven forty seven. He said, but to whom little is forgiven... The same loves little. You know the people who do little, or let me say it this way, they love little, but that love is expressed in little uh, quantity. Those are the same people who are unaware of, or they have forgotten how much they've been forgiven. Because, you know, you've seen it happen. Some of you are this way. You were, when you were in the world, you were a very hardworking sinner. I mean, you sinned really well. A lot. You did a lot of sin. You weren't like one of these moral, you know, good persons that people looked at you and they thought you might have been a Christian. No, they didn't question that. They knew. Heathen <laughs> from the word go. Okay. And then you got saved and you were so very grateful and thankful because you were aware, man, I was a dog. I was mean, I was ugly, I was a bad person, and the Lord saved me. And frequently you'll see that when people are that way, they express more love for God. It's like they love God more. They want to work for God. They want to do the things of God more than someone who kind of lived a good life but just didn't get saved. But here's the reality. Whether you were a good moral person that finally realized that you still need a Savior, or you were the hardcore sinner that lived a hellacious life and you got saved, both of them had eternal consequences. Both of them had eternal consequences of being separated from God forever or being saved and being in His presence. So no matter what your past and your background, if you realize that, it will stir up love for God. And love for God will then be expressed in wanting to do His will. Wanting to complete the task that He has given you and complete the course that is there for your life. I tell you what, we should consider it such a great privilege to serve God. I mean, think about it. I mean, He didn't have to give us Jack. Can I say that? All right. He didn't have to. In His love, He gave us His best. He gave us His life. And now we're saved. We're in the family. We're in the kingdom of God. He's lo- what a privilege. I mean, if, if, if he wants me to scrub a floor or to travel to the ends of the earth, whatever. It's like, Lord, here I am. I'm available to you. You gave me your all. And I'm ending up in heaven 
as a result of this. And I'm going to complain about, uh, you know what, mm, don't quite have time for that, Lord. Or, you know, something of that, something of that nature. Now, let's get a clear picture. All right. Jeremiah chapter 8. Let's go over there. I'm going to give you a couple more verses here in Jeremiah today. And, uh, and we'll finish up. Jeremiah, the 8th chapter. And, and notice with me in the 6th verse. Pulling just some scriptures out of here. Uh, Jeremiah prophesying to these people. And some of it oftentimes in these cases were a rebuke. But let's see what we don't want to be like. Uh, Jeremiah 8 and verse 6. He said, I listened and heard. But they do not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness. Saying, what have I done? Everyone turned to his own course. As the horse rushes into the battle. Notice, everyone turned to what? His own course. Not God's course. Not seeking the plan of God. Not doing the will of God. Everyone's doing their own thing. Saying, this is what I want to do. This is the direction I want my life to go. This is what I want to use my talent and ability for. And they did their own thing. And it's called wickedness. I wonder how many, how many Christians today never bother to seek the Lord as to His plans for their life. My concern is that it's too common. We get caught up with the cares of this world, the things of life, and we're just kind of trying to live our lives and make it and have a good time as much as we can along the way. And uh, pretty soon life will be over, but we never really consider the plan of God, the course that He has, has designed for us. And... Uh, we need to consider that God may have something for us to do. In fact, He does have something for us to do. Look at the 23rd chapter. Same book here, Jeremiah, chapter 23. And notice similar language over here in verse 10. It, it reads, For the land is full of adulterers, for because of a curse, the land mourns. The land mourns. What do you mean the land mourns? The pleasant places of the wilderness are dried up. Talking about drought. He's talking about the land is doing bad because uh, basically the people are doing bad. Uh, he's, it goes on to say their course of life is evil. Their course of life is evil. So can someone be on a course and it be the wrong course? Yeah. Is it possible for someone to become a Christian and then get off the course? I don't mean they're, not, I don't mean they're rejecting Christ, but they're rejecting His plan, His ways for their life. It is. And they get off course and their ways now are evil. Now look, he goes on to say, and their might is not right. Think about that phrase, their might is not right. Their might is wrong. Their might is their strength. Their might is their ability. Their might is what they can do. It's their resources, it's their talents, it's, it's, it's what's in their hand. He said their might is not right. But for us today, what about our might? Is our might right? Is our might, in other words, what are we talking about? What I can do. My ability, my talent, my resource, my position, who I know, what I have, what's in my possession. Is it right? Is it being used for the course? Is God being... Uh, is the kingdom of God benefiting 
from what I have in my hand, in my resources. You can see throughout Scripture that, you know, Jesus used a guy's boat one day. That was his might. His might was being used for the kingdom of God. Jesus preached from that boat. Uh, Jesus used the young boy's lunch one day to feed a multitude. He multiplied it. That's the way God likes to do things, right? Take what we have and add some, add some multiplication to it. And then we end up better on the other side anyway. You, you know, uh, Moses. God asked Moses, what's in your hand? He had this rod. Well, that's what he had. And God used it to deliver Israel. And I think we should consider today what we have. What do you have and what's it being used for? What are you able to do? I mean, I'm talking everything from, from mental skill, the things you know, the, your experience, your personality, your resources, your time. Is your might right? What do you mean right? Is it being used for the course? The purposes of God. We have magnified the, the, the very reality that God has something for us to do, not just something to be. And we take all that He has given us and realize this is all futile if all I do is use it on me. If all I do, it, do is use my stuff, whatever that is, so that I can do what I desire in life. It's all going to dust one day. There is a purpose. There is a higher cause. There is a reason for the things that we have. And we do not want to waste our strength on vanity. We do not want to waste our time. I'll tell you what, our lives are so brief. They are a vapor. Just a moment in time, poof, and we're out of here. Think about a hundred years in relationship to eternity. Our lives are just a speck. But yet in that little speck, God has invested decisions we choose during this time and what we do during this time affects forever I mean it's a pretty heavy concept if you really think about it what I have right now I can waste it and most people do they waste it and it's gone but there are those who rise up and recognize something inside of me man there's a desire to do something for God there's a desire to make a difference and expand his kingdom to do something that lasts for eternity and when a person will act on that, ooh, now they're in the right place. Come on now. Now they're doing something that really matters. Now they're going to be one that not just finishes, but one that finishes their course. Nowadays, days, there's a lot of stirring up in the media and everything about all the scandals going on in Washington and the abuse of power and abuse of resources. seems like every day we hear about this department, they you know, spent all this money on this and it was a waste and this department spent all this money over here and it didn't turn out to be anything and hundreds of millions were lost over here and, you know, and most Americans that get kind of, that pay attention to that kind of stuff are kind of frustrated with it. You think, I pay all this taxes and this is what it goes for? This is what it's being used for? And it seems like there's so much waste and it kind of bugs you, doesn't it? I mean, it does. And my purpose of this illustration is not to be uh, political right now, but I, here's, here's my thought. If that bugs us, that there's so much waste, so much abuse of power, so many problems going on, what about what God has invested in us? He created us unto good works. He created us to do something. What a waste. 
What a waste of power, authority, the name of Jesus, the Word of God, the gifts of God, the finances, the resources, the time that He has given us on this earth. What a waste if it doesn't get used for something of value, for something that it was intended to be used for. Amen. When people are being paid to do one thing, but they do something else, you know, hopefully they lose their job. But when it, comes to our, when it comes to the kingdom of God, we were saved to do one thing. Let's not do something else. You're not in, I'm not saying you're in risk of God revoking your salvation. But we were saved for a purpose. We were saved for a reason. And I know this, that when we get, and I may cover this more next week, but when we get to a place in our hearts where we truly and deeply desire to know God's will, to know specifically what He wants us to do, we will know it. That's the way these things work. When you desire deeply and, and earnestly expect and want to know what's right and what you're supposed to put your hand to, then comes the revelation. Then comes the knowledge of which way to go and what to do with that. Amen? If that's stirring up in your heart today, then good, we're on the right path. We're going somewhere together. Stand up with me today. Praise God. Let's take a few moments this morning and let's worship God as the band plays and the worship leaders sing and we all sing and and worship with them. Let's make a connection here. Let's have some communication with God. This is not about a religious exercise that we're doing here. This is about a connection and a communion with the Father.